Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Tuesday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. We are going to tell you a story, the eternal spring, and what a story it is. But first, we got to go ahead and give a shout out. To yes, you, the amazing listener joining us here on today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining me in, yes, our amazing Stratus IP studios here in lovely, lovely eastern Indiana. Don't let outdated technology or uh, those cybersecurity threats, that is, go ahead and put your business at risk. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash Stratus IP and get your free business technology consultation today. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash Stratus IP. All right, folks, first, we're going to go ahead before we go to today's guest, give a shout out to our sponsor, and that is Right Strategies. Now, folks, if you are a, a candidate or if you are a small business owner and you are looking for some help in the digital landscape, well, I have a great, great resource for you. Right Strategies is a proven uh, partner. It has a track record of helping their clients win elections, but also helping win in the business place with using smart, strategic digital marketing. Right Strategies is going to become the perfect partner to help you reach your goals. They have an amazing team of experts. They're going to help you save time, money, by also doing this by amplifying your messaging using amazing tools like SMS texting. They're going to give you smart, efficient, affordable ways to help focus your marketing budget, reaching tens of thousands of voters and customers, helping you win in the elections and also win in the marketplace. So if you want to learn how Right Strategies can help you win your elections and grow your business, head to briannicholshow.com forward slash RS and you can get your free political campaign or free marketing plan report card. But make sure you go ahead and let Morgan and the team there at Right Strategies know that I sent you one more time briannicholshow.com forward slash rs all right folks so on to the show yes the eternal strength uh, eternal spring it's an amazing movie i got the chance to check it out and i cannot encourage you enough to check it out as well and to help me do that making the case jason loftus he's the director jason thanks for joining the program Pleasure to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this movie because frankly, I never knew about Falun Gong. I never knew about what happened in 2002 and in China. And specifically, I don't think anybody else out there really is it's super aware of this conversation either. So Jason, thank you for helping write this movie direct this movie, and then, yes, bring one of the activists um, who, who took part in this, uh, and we're going to talk, talk about this this amazing story, um, to, to actually working on this movie and doing the artwork, which is absolutely gorgeous, uh, and it's up for many awards. I think uh, the, the latest I saw was that it's currently being uh, put up for, it was international film for the Canadian Oscars, is that correct? Well, it's, uh, it's the Academy Awards, so it's the Oscars, but each country puts forward uh, a film in the international feature Thank category. Okay. So we are Canada's entry for the 2023 Oscars in the international best feature. Well, that's even better than the way I was going to put it. So thank you for clarifying that because I, mis- <laughs> I misread that. So um, no, that, that speaks to, I think, also where this level of this film is and also the importance of the gravity of this film specifically. And there's one thing that we all experienced, right? And I talk about in our show, sales and marketing, and how can we bring sometimes hard to understand ideas or con- like just these sometimes very convoluted conversations and bring it to your average person. And there was mm-hmm. one part about the the movie, and I, I think we're going to dig into this a little bit more about media propaganda and just us being bombarded with this over the past 
two and a half years, and it just to see the echoes was very, very interesting, but also it speaks to the importance of telling these stories, and frankly, stories is what sells. We talked about this with our friend Matt Kibbe over on his show on Free the People, to sell more, uh, to sell freedom more, that is, uh, listen more, and, and then tell stories. So with that, talk to us, Justin, the eternal spring. Uh, what brought you to tell, wanting to tell this story to an audience that, that frankly, I think is in so such a desperate need of hearing it? Yeah, well, I was making a kung fu video game a few years ago, so maybe not the answer you were expecting. But uh, I, I learned like about <laughs> we had a we we had this goal of uh, including sort of a visual novel component to the game. So we were looking for still artwork, and we had a, an artist we learned about who was in New York at the time, originally from China. He drawn for Justice League comics and Star Wars, and his name is Dashong, and he's from a place in Northeast China called Changchun. And he'd also worked with a leading Kung Fu novelist in China. So we thought he had this combination of the artistic ability as well as the cultural background to really help us out. And we brought him up to Toronto. We were collaborating together. And when we learned about his hometown, I thought, okay, well, this is the same. He comes from the same city as my wife and producing partner, Masha Loftus. But there's a difference in their experiences. Well, Dashong was part of the Falun Gong community there. Uh, he had had his life sort of uprooted in the aftermath of this dramatic heist story, this sort of hacking of the state TV airwaves. And uh, Masha, my wife, she was the daughter of a mid-level government official in China. She had had no connection with the Falun Gong community there um, and really any dissident or persecuted groups. So for her hearing what had been happening under her nose in her own hometown, I think really hit home. For me, I had an existing interest in Falun Gong. When I was in high school, I was fascinated by Eastern philosophy and meditation. And so I was introduced to Falun Gong back in 1998 before there was a crackdown in China. And when a crackdown did happen and they started, you know, persecuting these people who were basically doing like yoga type, you know, slow moving exercises in the parks, um, these people started being rounded up and throwing into prison, thrown into prisons and such in 1999 when the government cracked down on it. And I was just hearing this narrative that these people are evil and dangerous and all these things. And it just didn't reconcile with my own encounters with Falun Gong or with the community of people, mostly Chinese expatriates who I had met who were practicing it in my hometown while I live in Toronto now. And so um, this planted for me this seed of concern and interest in the human rights subject. I think it also led me to learn more about what was going on in China. And, uh, you know, if you flash forward and then Dashong is sort of falls into our laps with this story, you know, this high story and this kind of like, separation from his hometown and the pain of trauma. He is someone who had been detained and tortured as well as a result of all of this. And he was exploring it through his drawings. And we just felt, you know, this was such a, an interesting story, uh, an important human rights story. And this, I think you touched on this whole, the whole question of like, you know, freedom of, of the press, the freedom of belief even as well. There's so many different broader themes that are sort of tied up in this. And I felt as well from a filmmaking perspective, the, a really interesting opportunity, which is that you know, I've seen other documentaries that have used animation, but very typically when they do, it's just it's just there. It's this decision by the invisible hand of the director. And you don't know what's gone into it, who's created it, what thought process they had, what sort of subjective elements are included in it. And for me, this was an exciting opportunity to kind of pull the curtain back on the creative process because it's not just animation, it's art coming from an individual whose life was deeply impacted by these events, who has to begin with some mixed feelings and reservations. Like, yes, he supported the effort to kind of counter the state narrative, the, you know, the government propaganda, but at the same time, he suffered a lot. A lot of people suffered, people were killed. He wonders whether that, you know, we poked the bear, whether it was really the best idea. And so he has these kind of mixed feelings. And I thought that's beautiful because I think a lot of people will have questions about what's the right thing to do in this situation. And, uh, 
he would serve as a sort of conduit for us to be able to explore this. And he's exploring it through his art. So he's meeting other survivors, other people who knew the individuals. And fortunately, then, of course, we find the one surviving hijacker who's managed to escape China, who's living in Korea. And uh, that really just opens up this whole thing for, for the film and for Dashong personally. And so he's drawing these things. And as a result of that, and as a result of sort of including a bit of the live action interviews with him and the footage, mm -hmm. we're able to not just have the animation, but have on screen the artistic process of him processing this through his art and showing, I think, the power that art can have to help us heal and to help us come to a new understanding about a major event. And you can tell how emotional it was for the folks he's speaking to because they're going through and they're reliving a lot of this, in many cases, truly torturous circumstances. And let's kind of rewind a little bit, because I think you touched on it a little bit, Falun Gong. It's something I'd never right. heard of. I was not familiar with it. And I think there's probably sure. a lot of folks out there in the audience who they're unfamiliar as well. So to hear, you know, okay, the Chinese government, I mean, we know what we know about the Chinese government, but like for them to be sure. cracking down on Falun Gong, this must be some pretty intense stuff, right? Yeah, right. Well, you know, it's interesting. It took me a while to sort of figure out what was going on because I mentioned I was in high school and this had happened. And my experiences at that point were purely, you know, positive and apolitical, you know, to in terms of my interactions with Falun Gong. So I didn't quite know what was going on, but I had enough of an impetus to kind of look into it more. And so I think over time, I've developed sort of my, my take and my understanding on what's gone on. You know, when the communists took over in 1949, they were immediately at odds with religion. So they were destroying temples and forcing monks to marry. And there was, you know, and that's true in many communist regimes in, in different countries with that has happened. There's constantly this tension because it's a, an officially atheist ideology and it enforces that belief system on other people. There's an effort to sort of have a monopoly on, on belief and ideology in the country. So, so there was this tension to begin with. But um, what had happened is in the aftermath of the... Uh, the great, uh, sorry, sorry, just, <laughs> just a moment, just a sec. I there need to uh, clear my throat. In a, in the aftermath of the great cultural revolution, which took place between uh, like the mid sixties and the mid seventies, the country was in a shambles. And it, what basically happened was there was this resurgence of these traditional practices. They looked to us like, um, you know, kind of yoga type practices. Traditionally, they had a religious or a spiritual philosophical component to them. Um, but when they were, you know, when they were reintroduced in China after the Cultural Revolution, they were just purely the exercises and, and movements. They didn't have that other component to them. So uh, they spread this way and they became popular and Falun Gong became by far the most popular among them. But it also had this kind of reintroduced this, this philosophical or spiritual component to it. So I think that put it at odds with the regime because you know, um, they were seeing potentially tens of millions of people, some estimates saying even more than the membership of the Communist Party, potentially 100 million people who were practicing this. And, at, you know, and it had a philosophical or moral component to it. And I think that unnerved communist leaders. So in 1999, um, they banned the practice. They started rounding up anyone who continued practicing it. And uh, from there on, uh, there was this sort of cat and mouse effort. So basically, you know, people would who wanted they, they felt they had benefited from the practice they wanted to sort of communicate that message to their fellow countrymen they would you know make some sort of handouts like leaflets and such and they would try and pass those things out uh and at the same time you know the authorities controlled all of the media so they were kind of competing with this overwhelming narrative from all of the you know the the, the mainstream media sources in the country and uh, they felt they just couldn't keep up and so this sort of led a small group of individuals in northeast china 
to hatch a plan to climb the television poles in prime time and carry with them these sort of primitive DVD players and and uh, plug them in and, and power them and basically counteract the state messaging in, in, uh, and, and play their own sort of homemade video that debunked the, the state media reports. And so that's what's at the core of this event. It's an underdog high story, a sort of band of underdogs that are, you know, an eclectic group of people that you would not expect to be hacking into the state television network. Um, and, it, you know, of course, a really a real life human rights travesty that res- is surrounding it, but also really um, you know, is escalated in the aftermath of this event. Yeah, well, and it's something, frankly, I had never heard of. I never read it in a textbook. I read about Tiananmen Square, right? I, I learned about that, but never heard about Falun Gong. I never learned about what happened in 2002 with this. But also to the, I think the reason that this story struck so much to me is because it it really does speak to what we all experienced over the past two and a half, three years of consistently hearing that there is only one objective truth, you know, and I'm not trying to really poke anybody's opinions one way or another, but like the trust the experts, the trust the science crowd, like if you're not allowed to have a dissenting opinion, what are we? We, we need to be able to have the free flowing of ideas and, and communicate those ideas in, in an open and expressive manner. And yet you look at what happened in China specifically as it not just pertains to Falun Gong, but look to today, the Uyghurs, the Christians. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many folks who are being not just ostracized for their beliefs, but in many cases put in, in indoctrination camps, more or less, trying to to change their ideas. I think there was one part in the movie where they, they mentioned they are bringing uh, one of the Falun Gong members to, I think it may have been uh, one of the lead characters, Liang, and, and it was like they were saying, we're going to have to read a Marxism, um, the, the atheism, and then there was something else, I forget. But you see, yeah. that's the mentality, right? There cannot be a difference of opinion. There cannot be an alternative way of thinking. But then the exciting part, the part that gives the hope is that when you see that there are so many people who are empathetic and open to the message and all it takes is to hear the message because, and we talk about this in sales, once you see something, you can't unsee it. So being able Mm. to quite literally help millions of people see the message and not have it encumbered and, and not have it restricted by the government bureaucrats or in this case, just the government apparatus that is the media, state media, it does speak to the importance of having the free flow of ideas because all it takes is that one idea to, to spark, in this case, the, the the hearts and minds of millions. Wow, yeah. I mean, there's some really interesting things there in what you mentioned. I mean, first off, I would say that as damaging as the disinformation was against Falun Gong, this sort of the, the hate propaganda that the government was churning out to justify its human rights abuses, I think... To me, even more damaging than that was the inability for anybody to counter that message. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of there being just only one one thing that we're allowed to hear. That to me concerns me. Um, you know, I think it's paramount that you be able to question things. I do think that that's important. And I think, you know, even as an example, a lot of people felt, okay, well, this is extreme. Obviously, the extent of media control and censorship in China, it goes far beyond what we experience anywhere else. I'm, I'm in Canada you know, what we experience in the West or any other place. That's true. Um, you know, but uh, it's something to, that still deserves our thought. You know, if we look at it, it, we might think because it's China, it doesn't affect us. But like, if you look at the early stages of the pandemic, even, you know, when there was a doctor in, you know, in Wuhan, Dr. Li Wenliang, he was not trying to be a hero at the time. He had recognized that there was some pneumonia-like virus that was spreading. He wasn't trying to sound the alarm or get the international media involved. He simply used a private 
you know, WeChat conversation with a few other doctors to sort of warn them, hey, there's something here that seems not right. And instead of that being addressed or, you know, or others being able to like act on his advice and, and sound a warning sign or look into it further, um, you know, essentially his conversations were monitored. He was brought in by the authorities and reprimanded for quote unquote spreading rumors at the same time this virus is spreading. And so it's impossible to say whether, you know, further transparency could have prevented the entire pandemic from happening, but it's, it's at least a legitimate question. And when you start to think about this and say, you know, is it purely like potentially a lack of an ability to question a narrative in China that potentially caused something that impacted people around the world, billions of people, then you start to recognize, okay, this inability to speak up, this inability to speak the truth, this inability to question narratives is something that affects all of us, even if we feel like, hey, we already still have the ability to say what we think and all that. So I think that kind of drives it home for me, you know, this idea. And I think the other thing too, is that it's about what's in the narrative. So if we look at like any sort of major atrocity or human rights abuse that's meted out like if you look at the genocides that have taken place over decades and, and over you know the last century or whatnot they always are founded upon some type of ideology like idea that a, a certain group of people is is less than they're unworthy of any kind of dignity or or respect as a human being they're they're deserving of whatever kind of punishments they meet out because there's some type of danger to the society or to the fabric of of things and so I think it's really important when you understand that there's only one voice and this voice is really branding a certain group of people as unworthy of any kind of respect, how damaging that can be. And, and that helped me to understand the sacrifice that these individuals made. Because at first when you're like, okay, these people spoke up, it required a lot of courage, that's very noble. But at the same time, people died, right? And, and you might think, is this overzealous? Because if you die, you can't practice your spiritual belief that you're trying to defend. Is that too much? Is it extreme? But then when you understand they were striking at this hateful narrative that was underpinning all of the abuses that mm -hmm. people were suffering, then you see the nobility in it. Because as you mentioned, once you've seen something, you can't unsee it. So now the Chinese people, they've seen this broadcast, they will, you know, never be able to look at the state media propaganda the same way. And that doesn't mean they're all necessarily going to grow the courage to stand up to this regime immediately. But they might be less willing to, you know, turn their neighbor in when they see them practicing Falun Gong. At least they're going to question some of the things that they've been told. And that has a huge sort of carry forward consequence, I think, in a positive way. Absolutely. Well, Jason, unfortunately, we are already this conversation flew by, but we're already hard pressed for time, which means, of course, the most important part for any sales guy. And that is the call to action, the next step. And that is, of course, to direct people to the, the theaters. We got to get butts in seats. So where can folks go ahead, support Eternal Spring, support this amazing film, and of course, share the message. In the world of wine, there are so many choices, and that's why Blood of Tyrants Wine has tyrants losing their heads. Whether you're looking for a new go-to at home or want to impress your friends at a party, Blood of Tyrants Wine has you covered. And if you're trying to get rid of some pesky tyrants in your life, well, we've got that covered too. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash wine and get $5 off your order. One more time, briannicholshow.com forward slash wine. Free men don't ask permission, so take a sip. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, thanks. So I assume most of your your uh, audience is in the U.S. We're playing in uh, over 50 screens uh, in AMC opening this Friday, October 21st. We already opened in New York City uh, at Film Forum, and that has been extended. We, we held this week with uh, we filled uh, cinemas there this week in New York as well. So if you're in New York, you can check us out at Film Forum. 
Uh, we're at AMC everywhere else. And to find the local listings, just go to our website, eternalspringfilm.com. It's all there. If you're in any other country and tuning in as well, it's all there as well. Eternalspringfilm.com. Would greatly appreciate your checking it out and would love to hear how, how people respond to this. Absolutely. No, Jason, thank you for not just joining us here today, but for, for doing this, for taking the initiative, writing, directing, bringing everybody together and sharing this story. We know in sales and politics and life, Stories work. Stories help bring people into what actually happened, into the the narrative. They can now feel the empathy, feel the understand. You know, we talk about this with our friend Victor Antonio, sales legend, and he uses the gross analogy. You want people to actually feel them vomit. You want them to hold your hair back, and you want to be there with them with that. That's the same idea here when we're telling stories. We want to connect with people on an emotional level, and Eternal Spring does that. Ten out of ten. Cannot recommend enough, folks. Please, if you have. The chance this weekend please go take some time go to your local amc go see eternal spring tell the person at amc that i sent you i don't know please go ahead tell jason though at the very least if you enjoyed eternal spring uh go ahead reach out to him reach out to his team uh share the film tell friends to go ahead and check it out and uh please Go ahead. By the way, if you enjoyed today's episode, help share the message. Share today's episode. When you do, please go ahead. Tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. Other than that, folks, thank you for joining us on a very, yes, I, I say important. All episodes here in the program are, are, I dare say, important, but this is a particularly important one. So please thank you again for, for joining us, but please go ahead and share today's episode. And with that being said, folks, thank you for joining us. Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Jason Loftus from Eternal Spring. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Enjoying the audio version of the show? Then you'll love our YouTube channel. Be sure to head over there and subscribe. And if you're new to The Brian Nichols Show, be sure to head to your favorite podcast catcher and click download all unplayed episodes so you don't miss one of our nearly 500 episodes that will be sure to leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. If you got value from today's episode, can you do me a favor and head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash support and leave us a $5 donation? And by the way, have you given the show a five-star review yet? If not, head to Apple Podcasts and tell folks why you listen to the program and don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe too. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty. And again, if you'd be so kind, please consider making a donation to The Brian Nichols Show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network.